Here it comes. It's the Music City Real Estate Show with Andrew Buckwalter. Coming to you from his roving camper studio, The Rambler, in Nashville, Tennessee. Join us as we travel about town to discover the best real estate in areas you want to know about. With expert advice, finding the best deals, and meeting Music City's hit makers and emerging artists who call Nashville their home. And now, here's Andrew. Hello, Nashville and all the other listeners out there. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 12. Today, I'll be sitting down with David Weber. He is with the Limestone Title and Escrow, and we'll be talking about title insurance for your home purchase and then also other aspects that a title company does in regards to closing your deal, whether you're if you're buying or selling. And then also I'll be sitting down with John Scott. He'll be um, he's a singer songwriter in Nashville and we will be uh, discussing music, obviously, and then he'll play a couple songs. I hope you gain some great wisdom from Ryan Stevens about new construction and other aspects of your home and also enjoyed Ty Clark on the guitar. That was episode 11. So if you did miss that, make sure to go back into the episodes and check it out. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy some music by John Scott. So this is a song I wrote with my friend Bill DeLuigi. Um, He is not a pizza guy. Sounds like a pizza guy. But he is a songwriter, and this is one he and I wrote together. There's nothing like sitting here next to you Underneath the blessing of a midnight moon Come on, come on, let's do what we do Burn up the big town, spend a lot of cash Or turn on these headlights and strip it all back Come on, come on, let's do what we do Yeah, we could take a back road, maybe find love I'll pick up the bottle, we don't even need cups Yeah, these small town stars shine like money Nothing like wine and a local honey There's nothing on the radio, but there's something in the air Where you wanna go, baby, I'll take you there Come on, come on, let's do what we do I took the world for a spin, no clue where I was going I was looking for you, hey, but I didn't know it Come on, come on, I said come on, yeah We could take a back road, maybe find love I'll pick up the bottle, we don't even Town stars shine like money, nothing like wine and local honey. Yeah, we could take a back road, maybe find love. Local honey, yeah. Nothing like wine and a local honey. Hello, Nashville. I'm sitting here with John Scott. He is a uh, actually a business partner currently. Yeah. Works with a lender that I work with, and he's also surprisingly, you know, being in Nashville, he's a musician. Um, it's so tough to find the two, business, musician. Maybe not, right? Yeah, right. Every, everybody, everybody. everybody and their mama and, and their cats trying to sing as well, right? Yes. I've heard um, a few cats sing. Have you really? Some of them probably sound pretty good. It was awkward. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. <laughs> so anyways, yeah. So sitting here with John Scott, I'm going to let him uh, tell us a little bit about himself. Uh, go ahead, John. Well, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll tell this, you know, the first time I met you was outside of the office. Yes. When I first started working with Brandon. Right. And you pegged me immediately. You oh, said, yeah, yeah, you definitely. Said, you're a musician. <laughs> and I was like, well, what gave that away? 
you know, so since this is a podcast, people don't know. That right. Well, we got a like video. screws so. in my ears. <laughs> right. So maybe that gave it away. I just asked him. I said, do you have to take a, a Phillips head a screwdriver to get that out of your yeah. ear? He's like, yeah, it hurts. Yeah. These were given to me. I was told I had screws loose. And so they wanted to. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. Ah, that was funny. High grade comedy, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, to start the show. Uh, so a little bit about me. God. Um, well, I started singing and playing music at about four years old. First instrument was drums. Uh, well, the first instrument was voice. I mean, I came out of the womb singing in the oh, yeah. key of wah. Now, did and, your uh, parents uh, put music on the belly and all that stuff? They say that's really good or no? You know, I don't know if they did that back then. I mean, you know, there's a lot that's happened, developed since then. Yes. You know, we know more about uh, right. what happens in the womb. Yep. Back then, it was just, you know, me being a really big kid. Right. I, I was born, I was like 10 pounds, 3 ounces. They almost nice. named me ouch. Or another four-letter word. Right. But I, um, man, yeah, I started playing music very young, started singing. Uh, I, my dad would put me up on chairs at church, uh, my brother and I, who was a year and six days older than me, and we would just sing. You know, we didn't. And so I've never known a time in my life where I wasn't singing or playing an instrument. Started out on drums. Started playing bass guitar in my teen years. Uh, as I got closer to adult life, it was kind of hard to accompany myself with a set of drums or with a bass guitar. Um, if you're Sting, you can afford to have triple scale musicians on the stage and you can play bass and sing. But uh, for me, to just accompany myself at a songwriter's round or at a nursing home or a prison or wherever I was singing, um, I needed to learn how to play guitar. So picked up acoustic and started playing acoustic guitar and piano a little bit. I was going to say you play a little piano too. Yeah. Wow. And and just love music in general. It's always been a part of my life. Well, it was cool. Uh, we went to the Matchbox 20 concert Saturday. Oh, yeah. And uh, the I, sometimes I can't even label what all. He was he, he played guitar. You had like the main guitar dude. Then you had another guy. And he would lay that down, and he'd jump on the drums, two, two of them. Yeah. And, man, he would get to banging around. It was so cool. I mean, he was a true... Entertainer. I don't know if you you were you there by any chance? No, no, I was out um, of town. So. I mean, he's. Uh, it was funny to watch him because he was just roaming there, but he would get the drumming, and so you're like, yeah, he could do a little bit of everything. So yeah. I guess you kind of do that. So were your parents music music musicians? Well, my dad is a singer okay. and a songwriter. He was pastoring a church at that time, so in church is a lot of music, you know. And but yeah, my dad is as long as I have. Well, yeah, he's played music, I guess, since he was a teenager. So that too. was probably a motivation of, you know, getting you up there and singing and, sure. and stuff. Well, know? we were we were around it so much, you right. know, and, and, right. and we were since we were doing the church thing, there was always a singing. You know, I grew up uh-huh. in Georgia. They didn't call them singing. As a matter of fact, what part of Georgia. So right in the middle of the state, okay, um, Macon, just yeah. south of Atlanta. So area. my my uh, my in laws live in Fort Valley. No way, outside of Perry. Yep, that's yeah, crazy. When I was 17 years old, I left home, ticked off. My dad and I used to butt heads all the time. I probably have skull damage. Uh, you're a preacher kid, huh? Oh, PK, yeah. But I was a preacher too, so that's what was crazy about it. I, no, the reason I say that Fort Valley is is I became a youth pastor at okay. a church in Byron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's fairly. So close. have you tried some of the peach uh, peaches from the peach truck in Nashville? No, I have not. Oh, dude, you got to check it out. Are they um, great? They, they come from um, Fort Valley. Oh, well, then they're uh, great. Pearson Farms. So they okay, yeah. they literally ship them up here. They're at Farmer's Market and stuff. They're, the season's ended now, but yeah, you got to try it. Um, yeah, Pizza That's a truck. plug for them. Yes, so, definitely. So now they owe you advertising yeah. dollars. That's fantastic. I like how you did that. You like Just that? Just send them an yeah. invoice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right, so you started early, and as you you know, learn more music, what was your genre? Did you kind of, were you all over the place? Obviously being in the church, you sung that, but did you like secretly, you know, pull out some Metallica or, you know, some different stuff? You know, I was raised in a very strict religious environment. Uh, We weren't allowed to listen to anything um, secular unless it was some country, old classic country. We could listen to Marty Robbins, Merle Haggard, Conway Twitty, sneak around a little Elvis, you know, Honka Honka Burning Love was... Uh, you know, kind of over the line. Because you get nice to shape it, shaking your hip, right? Well, that's I mean, exactly that's, right. Right. Well, of course. And and you wouldn't want to do that because, I mean, dancing leads to sex. Anyway, <laughs> but no, it was a very interesting environment. Now, no, but, but I remember the first time I heard really music that like kind of like woke me up inside. And it was uh, on the Cosby show when Stevie Wonder was on. Okay, cool. You remember that episode? Yeah. Uh, yes, and yes. By, we're yes. aging ourselves with that. Yeah. Oh yeah, I love the Cosmos. But it was it was superstition and have. Um, I just called to say I love you, 
and there was something about his voice that I went, oh man, well, this is, this is dating, dating me as well. There, I happen to, we happened to have a VCR. Well, I just, oh, I, do too, I liked technology. So I pushed record. I would record shows I liked. I happened to be recording that one. So I, I mean, I literally wore the tape out. That's I listened cool. to Stevie Wonder and then Ray Charles. But now we were, allowed, like to, we were like. allowed to listen to, you know, black choirs like Edwin Hawkins and the Mississippi Mass Choir, stuff like that. A lot of um, black gospel music gripped me pretty early. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people ask me sometimes, where, you know, where does your kind of soulful vocal stuff come from? Because my dad was a country guy. So where does that come from? A lot of black gospel influence early on. Nice. So when did you move to Nashville? You know, I was somebody asked me that the other day, and I kept saying from the stage of these writers rounds, you know, about four years ago we moved to Nashville. Uh, dude, it's closer to six now. So it's been Time about... Time flies, doesn't it, when does, you're having fun. When you, that's what they tell me. And apparently it has. And apparently I have had fun. So six years. So, close to it. So moved up here. And then how long... So you did the music. And then what band were you in? Were you in bands as you were growing up? You know, growing up is a step way back. I started playing a snare drum at four. Because I couldn't reach the pedals for the kick drum. So it was snares. Uh, snare drums and singing behind the drums. With my dad and my brother. So we had this little trio. I did that all the way through till I was 17. Um, and then I went to become a youth pastor of a church, and I successfully grew a youth group from 50 to 15. Uh, <laughs> nice. Catch that math. Uh, in, in about three months. Found out quick that was not me. Everybody thought I was the card-carrying youth pastor dude. That was not me. Um, so I left uh, graciously. And, uh, I didn't get fired, but I, I felt like it was on the way, so I left. Anyway, I went on the road with a gospel music group, a professional gospel music group who, who had a record deal in the Southern Gospel Music Industry, and I was with them. The name of that group was Ladder Rain, mm-hmm. and we toured around in a tour bus. I thought I was you know, hot stuff, man. We had a 35-foot 4104 Eagle, or not Eagle, but Buffalo yeah. GMC, built by GMC, is. whatever that is, yeah. right? Uh, we graduated up to a Model 15 Eagle customized that had formerly been Kenny G's bus. So we felt like we were oh, hot. Oh, wow. You know, there you dude, go. you know. Um, but anyway, toured and do, did that with that group. We did the whole National Quartet Convention thing back before the Bill Gaither videos like blew up the, the planet as far as Southern gospel music was concerned. Uh, we toured with all those, a lot of those groups doing the whole gospel music thing for about four years. Yeah, I started pastoring. I said I would never do that, but I did. Uh, and I pastored f- for close to 11 years. Really? Two different churches. And still in Georgia? Still in Georgia. Okay. And then uh, the whole time, though, I was traveling. I was, I was a singing preacher, you know. So right. uh, even in the music team, I was leading the music team and then doing the sermons, you know. So it was kind of always a part of me. But, yeah, I something, you know, something just drew me to secular music. Oh, because it's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which was so, yeah, exactly. I, I, so I joke. I was the opposite. I listened to old hip hop, R B, uh-huh. rap, and then my brother in law turned me on to STP, and then it was all alternative with oh, the mixture of back and forth with all that stuff. Yeah. And the only I didn't I actually didn't know there was Christian music out there yeah. until I heard uh, Jesus Freak. Yeah. DC and Talk. And then DC Talk, and then Flood. Oh, yeah. Because, man, those would, but I would, I would rock those out. And then once, you know, I kind of got into church a little bit after my wild years in college, (laughs) I met a friend. I was like, oh, wow, man, they have all kinds of music. And the cool thing is, um, I was at a uh, GNAR event, realtor event, a couple years ago. And on the, on the list with Benchmark, there was a guy. It was Bebo Norman. And I'm like, no, is that Bebo Norman? Well, yeah. His his wife is a, a realtor, and so he lives in Franklin. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. There's a lot of— Yeah, and I was like, dude, that's so awesome, because like that, like I was into his music, that kind of acoustic type, yeah. you know, stuff. Sort so of anyways, folky God music. Yeah, I, but but I got to say, I, I, I can never let go of that other stuff. I got XM, and I found a station recently called The Fly, and it's got old school Word. 90s. Because uh, I love all music, you know Yo, what I mean? Me like, too, man. And I was never, you know, restricted from music. Maybe I should have been a little bit, but I just love it all. 
Make sure to stay tuned after David Weber discusses title to hear the second part of the interview with John Scott, and then he'll finish out with another song. Well, I'm sitting here with David Weber. We are in Nashville at Centennial Park. Great place. Um, actually, I uh, sat down with Ty Clark, and he played here as well. So uh, Weber works with the Limestone Title and Escrow. He helps buyers and sellers get to the closing table and does a lot of legwork that I know I probably take for granted and am clueless about and probably don't care about, but he is going to inform us why title companies are important and all they do. So Weber, tell us a little about yourself and, uh, and your company. Sure. Well, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, uh, born and bred. Actually, I'm a rarity. I'm a University of Louisville fan, but I went to the University of Kentucky, so there's a lot of people really? have a lot of strong feelings about that, and it uh, doesn't bother me too much. I moved down to Nashville when I was 21 to start a branch of a title company called Heritage Title. We uh, ended up opening four in Middle Tennessee and a couple down in Florida and sold that one in 2007. Had a two-year non-compete, and everyone's always like, oh, man, congratulations. You got out of the title business right before the bubble. Well, I put all my money in the stock market and into real estate, so <laughs> easy come, easy go. You were still uh, in it, yeah. right? 2009, it was ready. It was time for me to get a steady-paying job again, so we opened up Limestone, and, uh, and here we are. We've got four or five locations, about, I don't know, 42 or 43 employees right now, and we're just uh, enjoying this real estate market. Yeah, it's a great one in Nashville. How's Louisville? Louisville's killing it. My yeah. uh, my brother runs that market, and he's just done a fen- phenomenal job. They're uh, they're doing as many, if not more, closings than we are down here. Which is, I don't know if that says wow. something about me or something about him or both. But you're too busy on the farm, right? <laughs> yeah. So this what, is not how I show up to closings, by the way. I told him I was like, man, it doesn't matter. We're pretty casual in here, so he looks he looks fine. We're in Nashville, you know. That's right. That's the great thing I always say. It's like you got all this culture, you got city, you got all this, you know. Um, stuff downtown and then you can cruise to Lewisburg right and go hunt and be out in the country well I think the Nashville business attire is blue jeans and a blazer which yeah. is good for me that that, that fits well into how right. I like to dress <laughs> yeah I think I tried to pull off a suit even I bought a bunch of ties that I'm like I need to just take those back I just I don't know I can't it's really not required here unless no. you're in court and hopefully we're not going there so no no hopefully not <laughs> so how many offices do you have where are your offices around you we've said five three in middle Tennessee we've got Murfreesboro Brentwood and then out in Hermitage and then we've got one down in Dothan Alabama and Dothan. one in Louisville we had Dothan Alabama right by the Florida line it's nice uh, and then we've got one up in Louisville Kentucky and kind of a pseudo in, uh, in Bowling Green Kentucky yeah I think uh I think I interviewed somebody recently from Dothan. And then I actually got a closing in the couples from Dothan. So that's random. Why'd you go out there? Well, we had to have a brick and mortar to, to, to do real to do title work in Alabama. And we had a friend that lived in Dothan that worked for us. So it worked out pretty well. He, he moved back here from Dothan. He moved back to Dothan from here. And he's our licensed producer in Alabama. So just kind of fell into it. We don't do much business in Dothan proper, but uh, we can do business all over the state of Alabama now. So what did you go to school for in the UK? Finance. Okay. It's a pretty funny story of how I got into title. Uh, I was at Churchill Downs in Louisville, and I'm, you know, I'm from there, so we all learned how to handicap horse races early on in life. You know, my, my grandmother's a big gambler, and she's always betting on the ponies. So I'm out there with my older brother and some of his buddies on a Thursday, I think, and I get on a streak. You know, I'm hitting a bunch of big races, and uh, his friend Chip is betting with me. He's doing whatever I do, and starts making a bunch of money and he looks over he's like man you're my good luck charm you should probably come and uh work for me and i said well what do you do and he said i'm in the title business i didn't know what that was at the time and i thought he was talking about you know car loans title loans right and i said you know no thanks i'm not that's a little too shady for me and he was like <laughs> real estate's not very shady and i said well what well, tell me more about this so i interned for him and then when school was over went over and started working for him and you know, at the time, they were both married. Both the partners were married with children, and um, they wanted to open Nashville, and I was young and didn't have kids, so moved down here at the right old age of 21 and nice. started uh, selling title insurance. So how long have you been here? What, 14 years or something? I was 17. Okay, 17. I wish I was 35. That'd be good. Yeah. How old are you? 38. Okay. Well, I'm 40. Yeah. Uh, Just went to a 40th birthday this weekend. Yeah. I guess that's going to be the normal 40. Everybody's sitting in their 40s. Everybody's in their 40s now. 40s um, so you're 30. married. You got you got uh, 22 kids. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> married with three kids. <laughs> Keeping you busy? Yeah, they are. They're five, six, and nine right now. And it's, uh, 
it's a lot it's a, it's awesome though I mean I hate watching them get older because I you know I miss them when they're a baby but each phase keeps getting cooler and cooler you know right, my nine year old right. daughter might as well be 18 the conversations we're having and the general concern she has for me when I make a mistake or say something you know I get lectured by not only my wife and my father-in-law but also my daughter <laughs> it's funny everyone's so kind of watching and so you attention. gotta sit down for a lot of lectures I right? Get, I get lectured a little bit there's well, some eyes on me my wife she sent me an email uh, yesterday it was a devotional she read and it talked about you know your kids are listening to you they're you know all that stuff and so you need to watch what you say how you say it and all this kind of stuff and I replied I said I said, yeah, I said, this one really didn't speak to me much. <laughs> she, she replies back, wow. I was like, yeah, I'm kidding. Because our two-year-old, I mean, he is such a sponge. Like, I don't I don't remember the other two. You know, mine's 10. He just turned 10 and then 7. So right. I'm right there with you. And uh, I just don't remember them going through the sponge, sponge age as much as Hudson is because you know the boys are talking and he literally is just sitting over there copying everything they're saying he's got the hands going and mm-hmm. it's so cute they don't even know what they're doing they're yeah. just, just the, the repeat monkey see monkey I'm do I'm telling you man so it's like alright we really need to uh, make sure we're we're having our uh, um, you know adult conversations away from the kids so right. that's a constant reminder so we've made that mistake a couple times as well that's, that's not a fun one no no it's not so uh, give us an overview of a uh, title um, kind of I guess a broad view and then we'll dive into a few more detailed questions sure so title insurance is uh it's a necessary part of real estate transactions when a buyer's taking a property they want to make sure that it is coming unencumbered from anything the seller had on it so you know when you live in a house you pay your taxes that's a lien on title you might have a first mortgage and a home equity line heaven forbid you forget to pay a bill and someone puts a judgment lien on it or you don't pay your taxes and you get a federal tax lien you know all these are tied to a specific piece of property that you own so when you get a new guy that comes in that wants to buy it you know his natural guard should be up to make sure everything that that person's done is is out of the way well buyers don't think like that most buyers new buyers especially they're just so happy to get the house you know they're not worried about those things and that's where we come in you know we run a search on the property we figure out any lien or encumbrance from any prior owner it's not just the people that own it now either it's it's further back in the chain we do a 30-year search and anything that hasn't been satisfied we um we prepare a title commitment that says hey we'll issue insurance on this property if x y and z are done um and then we go to get the documents together and make sure that X, Y, and Z are done so that your buyer gets to take that property free and clear aside from whatever lien he puts on it when he buys it. Gotcha. So what are, the, what are some of the common um, claims and you know how can you avoid those? Well, one thing you see a lot is people will make take draws off their HELOCs before we close. Or so, you know, if if we get a payoff on a home equity line, say it's twenty thousand dollars and we're closing in three days, if that borrower goes or the seller goes the day before closing and takes five thousand dollars off their HELOC, we typically don't catch that. So we go and pay off the mortgage, the home equity line, and it comes back with a five thousand dollar shortage, which we're responsible for covering and then getting it back from the seller. But it's kind of a nightmare. And you see that happen a lot. You also see when we close when we pay off a home equity line, oftentimes the bank doesn't close it. So then you've got a a seller who's moved into another piece of property who has an open home equity line on a piece of property they don't own anymore. And you can imagine that would be a recipe for disaster. I think that's where we see the most of our issues with right now. So what about the escrow portion of limestone title? Well, that's the other part of what we do. So we sell title insurance, and then we operate an escrow account, meaning that we handle all of the financial transactions associated with the real estate closing. Uh, Some of our agents have us hold the earnest money to start the file. Definitely a closing. We get the funds from the buyer. We get the funds from the lender. And then we disperse those based on the settlement statement that we produce during the closing process. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of responsibility in there for us handling all the funds and kind of being an intermediary between all the parties associated with the deal. Listing agent, selling agent, buyer, seller, banker. And if a deal falls out, you know, they come to you. So have you seen more um, realty companies asking you to hold the, the earnest money now? We are. So what you're seeing now is a lot of these um, smaller real estate firms popping up. You know, um, you're seeing a lot of the 100% commission places that just charge a flat fee for a deal. They try to simplify their business model because they don't want the looming overhead that some of the bigger firms have. And one of those items would be not being responsible for reconciling a trust account or handling the funds that go in and out of it. So, uh, yes, we're seeing more and more people ask us to hold the earnest money. And I would say probably bigger, too, because that's, I mean, where Philip, he's like, 
you know, the less we have to deal with the earnest money, trust money, what is it going back to earnest money? Have they decided? I, who knows? They, I think um, it's trust money right now. Yeah. I'm old school. I still call it earnest, earnest money. money. I think, well, <laughs> I've, I've actually will send a text sometimes. I'm like, hey, you got a picture of the, the TM? And they're like, huh? I'm like, well, earnest money or, yeah, you know. whatever you want to call it. But he's, you know, he's a, he's guided us, you know, like, hey, we don't want to hold it because, it's you know, it just takes any, edits, right. everything, right. right. He's right. exactly right. So um, as far as handling so much money, are you ever victims of, of fraud? We are. Um, unfortunately, all the cyber fraud and um, hacking has gotten to a crazy level and, and people understand the amount of money that we handle each month. So we've become a natural target. Um, limestone itself has been targeted several times in the past couple years, and and you have to understand when we make an, when we have an error like that or get targeted, we're not talking about a hundred dollars or five hundred dollars. You know, one of them was two hundred eighty thousand wow. dollars. Um, the newest and latest hacking scheme, which is is just disgusting, is these hackers will get into an agency email. Like, let's say that you had a, a Gmail email account, Andrew Buckwalter at Gmail they will log into your email, hack into it, and they will follow your email and wait for you to have a closing go down. And when you have a closing, we typically say, how does your seller want to receive their funds? And which mm. chance you say they want to wire, here's their wiring instructions. They hack that email. They create another email that looks just like yours. Maybe Andrew Buckwalter at gmail.com or Andrew Buckwalter at you know something they, they take one slight change to it they copy your signature line everything so coming back to us it looks just like your email and they have their own wiring instructions in it and they've done that to us two or three different times so then how do you avoid that you just don't do wiring instructions over the internet well we nowadays? call back and verify them I mean most okay. of our clients are people like you that have a great relationship with if I call you on the phone and you answer the phone in a you know an Indian dialogue or dialect, I'm going to know that's right. not you. Um, so we, we make an outgoing phone call on every single wire that we send out to confirm with our agent or our client who's getting the money. We're very skeptical of uh, any changes to wiring instructions in the middle of the process because sometimes they'll have, you know, you'll be Johnny on the spot and you'll send the wiring instructions back real quick. Well, they'll get on your email and say, hey, actually, the buyer or the seller has decided they want to change the wiring instructions. That sets off a huge red flag to us. Now, if you close... In the office, is there really any reason to give the wiring instructions prior to closing? I, you know, we we would prefer. Or does it delay it or no, anything? No, 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 it doesn't okay. at all. We actually have a form filled out at right. the end of the closing, so they can bring them to us. Uh, typically, that's on a remote closing where we're going to send someone to a seller's house somewhere that we'll have them sent over via email. But yes, handing off a wiring instruction face to face is you know, truly the only way not to get hacked at all. So are y'all having to like continuously update your software to make sure that you don't get the cyber fraud? We've got, uh, we have a third party that analyzes all that for us and we're on a pretty restricted network. One of the good things that came out of the CFPB and the best practices is that they really tighten down on title companies on what we can and can't do and how we conduct business, especially, um, you know, over the internet. So there's a lot of things have been put in place in our system to protect us from it. Um, and so far, we've not been hacked. No one's gotten into our system. It's always come from a, um, a, a general mailbox, like a Gmail account or you know Yahoo or some mail account like that that are far more susceptible to hacking. So in regards to Limestone Title and Escrow, what um, sets you apart from your competition? Obviously, there's a lot of title companies out there. Sure. Well, it kind of goes back to me telling you that I moved to town as a 21-year-old trying to get title business. And uh, you can imagine there's not a lot of agents that are going to let someone like me walk in the door and, and they start to trust me. So I had to think outside the box and figure out what was my competition doing that I could do better. And one of the things I realized when I was 21 is that a lot of closing attorneys were only going to close from nine to five and only going to close in their office. Um, lots of times you'd call to schedule closing. Sorry, we're booked. We can't do it. I came to the table as a young kid and just said, hey, I'll do whatever. I don't care. I'll close a parking lot. I'll close at Home Depot. I'll close at a restaurant. I'll close You could close in the Rambler. Yeah, I could close in the Rambler. I would love to close in the Rambler. I'm, I'm going to make it happen. I haven't had an opportunity yet, but I'm going to. It's a fine closing facility. I'll tell you that. Anyone would be lucky to close in this baby. It's sharp. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's the main thing. We close anywhere, anytime at no additional cost. And we've done that since inception. It's funny, you know, when we did that, we were closing five deals a month. It was really not that big of a deal. Now at 500, it's uh, getting to be a little bit more of a challenge, but we still honor our word. Um, I don't think there's a time where we've ever charged anybody. We'll close a husband in California and a wife in New York City, um, you know, a buyer in Sacramento and a seller in Alaska. It's right, just what we do. Yeah, I'd say, and it's, I mean, my experience is you've been pretty flexible in making it happen as well. So that's good. Thank you, sir. Anything else aside from... Uh, 
the you know convenience of closing but that makes you kind of different no i mean that's really we try to stay ahead of the technology and offer anything we can do to to use technology to make our work environment better and healthier and greener you know we're a paperless title company which is kind of funny to say because you still have to print the closing docs at the end but we no longer have files our, our employees don't work from files on their desk everything mm-hmm. is electronic everyone's got two or three monitors and we open our documents there we don't print them out and that was a big thing we did to try to you know create some safety uh, for our clients' personal information as well as try to help the environment a little bit. Because I always joke and say that my kids' kids are going to look back and be like, you were an animal <laughs> based on the amount of paper that we churned through. Well, and so on that, you, you think, uh, is there any time soon that title closings are going to be, uh, you know, electronic? Well, what's funny is in 2007, right before we sold the first title company, we were moving that way. We'd all had laptops. We'd been trained on how to do e-closing. So... I was on the sidelines for those couple of years, and I assumed when I got back in in 2009 that it was going to be completely electronic. It had actually gone the other way. And, um, you know, some of that are some of the rules and laws that were in place then, you know, having to have a, an original note to foreclose on the piece. Of, um, I would imagine that the e-closing is opening up for some sort of fraud, but we're already seeing e-recordings are a thing now, which is great. So when we get done with the closing document in Davidson County and several other counties, maybe every county in Tennessee right now, we can scan the documents to the recorder's office or the registrar's office and they'll record for us, which is, you know, that's pretty amazing. So I think we're getting close right now. There's just... Um, you know, the banking side is not ready for it. Some banks are getting ready and it's getting closer. But yes, I mean, eventually we're going to have to go to an e-signature process. And that's that's mm-hmm. where my joke about the you're a monster comes in. Because, right, you know, five years ago, we're printing, you know, 144 pages every file two or three times and just churning through the trees, unfortunately. Right. So what's the difference between like using a title company versus like just an attorney? Um, there's really not much. You know, title companies, we have attorneys on staff. I right. think we've got five on staff right now. So we're set up to do all of those things. The attorneys can branch out and do some things that we cannot do. You know, estate work, things things that might tie into a real estate transaction that, that a regular title company doesn't mess with too much. We handle estates, but we're not the attorneys that are going to prepare it all and do that. We can do the real estate side of it. I think that's one of the differences. And I think one of the things that you'll see and, and I don't want to, you know, no offense to any of my attorney buddies out there, but I think you see a lot more flexibility in what we're able to do and what we're able to get done and, and the customer service side of our business. Um, and I think that's, from a client standpoint, what separates us. We're limited by some of the things that we cannot do, but we have a, uh, a, much, a much more robust customer service mindset, in my opinion. So what's a, uh, I guess, a quick over, overview of, uh, you know, I give you the contract. Sure. You know, obviously, like I had said uh, from the beginning, stuff goes on behind the scenes that, sure. you know, even buyers and sellers don't always know about. But what's a quick, um, you know, what's your process? Sure. We order a title search to find out what we're working with. We order a search on the buyer and the seller to see if they've got any federal tax liens or any judgment liens against them as individuals. Uh, we prepare the commitment that I referenced earlier saying that we'll ensure the property affects Y and Z are done. Then we get people like Ty that'll do the setup. They'll get home warranties, payoffs, uh, termite letters, uh, HOA documents, anything that we need for the closing. Um, then we gather all the information from the lender. They'll send over their closing instructions, um, what we need to put on the settlement statement or the Alta. Um, at that point, everyone comes into their office and closes. We gather all the funds. We disperse the files so everyone gets paid. And then we record the documents, and then we issue a final title policy. So what's the uh, the quickest you can close the deal for cash buyers uh, we could probably do it in one day really probably. wow you know, the limiting, title search and everything well we have in-house title searchers okay. on staff so we can get a title search back in five minutes um, the limiting factor there would be homeowners association documents or payoffs sometimes it takes a little longer to get those that information but if we've got a fully executed contract we're closing both sides payoffs are easy to obtain HOA is easy to obtain uh, there's no reason we couldn't close it in a day just depends on obviously how available all these other HOA sure. stuff like right. that. We're, we're limited by other people. The work that we do could be done in a day. So working with buyers and sellers and, you know, experiencing, I'm sure at times, frustrations, what are things that you would you could pass along to them to make the process sure. easier? Well, one thing uh, we deal, number one, we I have to constantly remind our team and myself that most of these transactions are the biggest investments a client's going to make in their life. So it's easy for us to, to be speeding through doing what we do and, and not acknowledge that these people are going to be nervous. 
They're going to be apprehensive. They're scared. You know, this is a huge investment. We do it every day. We know that we're trustworthy. We know they don't have to worry about anything, but they don't. So we've got to convey that sense of trust to them. You know, you get a call from Ty after after your realtor sends a contract over, and one of the first things he says is, send me your social security number. That's an aggressive question to ask. We don't feel that way because we know what we're going to do with it. We, we do this every day, but it's... One, one, they have to trust that you as their agent are directing them to a company that's reputable and to people that know what they're doing. And that's not always the easiest thing to be done. And we have to be careful to also instill in them, hey, this is why we're asking for your social security number. We want to get the payoff of your mortgage. We can't get it without your social. We're not going to share it with anyone, you know, th those sorts of things. So I guess the biggest thing to say is you know trust in your team trust the team the people that you've picked are who's going to take you to the finish line they're going to protect your information they're going to get you closed on time and you don't have anything to worry about even though it's the easiest transaction to worry about if that makes any sense yeah yeah it does so obviously i know you've you've uh, been involved uh, with real estate for quite a while uh, outside of title what advice would you give buyers and sellers in the national market it's a hot market right now you know, sellers are getting crazy aggressive on pricing because, and I can't blame them. You know, you put a house on the market, it gets seven offers the first day. Six of them are above asking. Some of them are cash. I think right now we're seeing a small correction in pricing. I don't know if you feel the same mm -hmm. way, but from what I'm hearing, you know, people are swinging for the fence out of the, out of the gate and not getting what they want. So my, my suggestion to a seller would be, hey, let the market tell you what's going on. You know, if you put your house in the market at a price and no one looks at it, or you get a bunch of a bunch of looks and everyone says, hey, it's overpriced. That's the market telling you it's overpriced. It's not the agent being mean or us saying anything negative about your home. The market's going to tell you very quickly. And one of the good things that that you you as an agent do is give great feedback from mm -hmm. all the all the showings of your properties. They have to listen to that. Right. Um, from a buyer standpoint. I don't know how to say this without sounding stupid, but they have to detach their emotion from it right now because they're just getting their hopes and dreams shattered all day long. And I see it from our side. You know, you'll have a buyer that's written seven contracts. So they've fallen in love with seven homes and had them not go through. I know when I bought my house, I lost two. And, God, you know, between my wife and I, I thought we were going to have a heart attack. Now you get these guys seven, eight, nine, ten homes I don't know how you detach emotion from primary purchase or primary resident purchase, residential purchase, but somehow know they got to think about it more of a less and, emotional thing. I don't know if that makes any and sense. And when you say that many times, you mean offers that they haven't got accepted. Sure. Well, if that's the case, I would maybe look at uh, changing agents. Oh, there you go. <laughs> because, you know, sometimes I think people are like, man, you work all the time, right? Weekends and stuff. And I'm, and I think over the last, you know, well, I've been doing it for five and a half years. And really sometimes I think, you know, I haven't as much. And then I think about one of the reasons why is because of multiple offers. Right. Um, you know, I literally go in, I start trying to build rapport with the agents. You know, any little thing you can do, you know, throwing little funny emojis or, or gifs or whatever, um, just to kind of build some rapport. Because if you could, you could anyway get the agent to be on your side, you know, to, to huge, convince, you know. Advantage. So, yeah, that would be frustrating. Um, I spoke with somebody. The other day, they are moving down here, and their wife had, <laughs> he didn't know it, but the wife had already made contact with an agent, and he's like, yeah, she's gone after two or three. I hadn't got it, you know, and um, I looked up her stats, and again, this isn't to say that part-time, full-time, right. you know, but, you know, there's, the more transactions you do, the more experience you have sure. to, like uh, you know, to for your buyers to trust you, you know, right. so that I would be extremely frustrating to, I would, <laughs> man, I would be so I would be so upset. I can imagine going after sure. so many like that. You we know? hear it all day long. I mean, it's, the horror stories we hear are terrible. One of the things that you do a good job of as well is aligning yourself with partners that right. that really do strengthen your offers. Hey, you know, if you're writing down a financial contingency and they're wanting to see an approval letter and you're sending in a top-notch mortgage broker that everyone in town trusts, that well, and for that good. matter, you have that that lender call the agent as well. Sure. You know, again, any any little thing. So yeah, that's good. Uh, good advice. Detach the emotions if you can. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's really. You know, I just hate you, you get on my. Gosh, I'm so sorry, guys. By the time they get to me, they're so emotionally drained. They're just like, Ugh, I'm gonna sign and go. I'm like, well, I hate for it to be like that. This should be a a happy moment, you know. And instead, it's uh, <sighs> thank God it's over. And and on that on that financing uh, or on a financing note too, you know, make sure that you are. 
totally upfront with your lender with everything because you know you can get a pre-approval based on what you tell the lender and that's not always all the details right. and you get all the way to closing oh yeah i didn't know the student loan or yeah you know it's like really How yeah, did don't you buy a new car that? during the closing process right. that's never a good idea and don't finance your new furniture till afterwards so um <laughs> obviously you're in the real estate business but how about as far as advice for musicians. I know you have some family that has a well-known uh, musician around Nashville. I do. Uh, my father-in-law is Trace Atkins, the country singer. And uh, I can tell you, and you know, earlier when Ty was playing, I asked the question, how do you get to play in these bars and restaurants? It's so funny living in Nashville and the surrounding counties, how spoiled we are with the high quality musicians that we have here. Puckett's on a Wednesday night. That guy could go play in New York City on a Saturday night for sure. You know, and I see these guys hustling and, and, and out rolling and doing everything they can to, to get this advantage. And I don't know. It, it's it just seems like it's such a highly competitive market. I don't know if it's a not what you know, but who, you know, type I think deal. it is. I'm sure I mean, that plays into it. Um, but I'll tell you, it, it's a highly competitive market and it's a tough one. And we are so spoiled with the music we get to listen to. You walk down Broadway and every single bar has an amazingly talented musician that could go to any other city and crush it sitting here trying to make it in Nashville and it's it's just a joy to be around well that's the thing like at our at church I go to you know Aaron Loy he's always I think it's the people you know and they know somebody but you know I mean you got guys that are in and out because they're playing with somebody somebody's playing with uh, you know keys with somebody I mean it's just amazing the talent you know oh, yeah and then obviously sometimes you don't sometimes you're not uh, you don't always know how good the talent is because sure. um, well, I think we do take it for granted you we know? do growing up in Louisville I didn't know anybody that could play music like these guys now I know 50 guys that could get up there and just crush it and it's uh, it's one of those things man Nashville's music city and it really is it, it's, we're spoiled it's awesome yeah so cool well anything else you want to leave us with as far as regards to title no, I think we've covered the whole game. It's not a very sexy product, I'll tell you that. Right. But it's a it's a necessary one, and choosing the right title company is important. But no, it's uh, it's the same thing over and over again. We just try to do it as as good as we can, as quick as we can, and as informative as we can. Are there um, buyers or sellers that reach out to you outside of working with realtors and stuff, or do you, are you usually referred? Okay, no, we get them all the time. Okay, um, we get a lot of people that a lot of investors that might have come to us from an agent. We, we, we have a pretty good capture rate on once someone closes with us once, they try to close with us again. Even if they switch agents or switch loan officers, we get a lot of repeat business and people that come back around, which is great. We don't do a great job of marketing to those people because for a title company to market to the general public doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, if I put a billboard on 65, no one's going to know what I'm talking about. They're going to be like me at Churchill Downs 20 years ago. Right. Oh, I don't need a car title alone, you know, but um, we do try to market through our clients and through our agents. And, and by doing a good job of making sure that you get more referrals, we're going to make sure that we get more referrals. So to end, you got any funny title stories or music stories or any just general stories uh, to humor people? I will tell, I'll tell a trace story. All right. So, um, when I met Trace's daughter, Tara, uh, my wife, um, you could probably imagine just from this little television interview or podcast or whatever we're on that he and I are quite different human beings. I'm from the city. I played soccer. He's from the country. He played football. It took a long time for him and I to, well, I, I knew I liked him. I thought he was great. Well, he just thought I was some you know loser and he didn't really want me around. So he would try to haze me. You know, I kind of went through a fraternity like hazing for the first couple of years we were together and he's got a farm down in Eagleville and he uh, he would call me thinking I was from the city and then I couldn't complete these tasks and set me up with tasks after we sold the other company so I'm not working right now we're expecting a baby in a few months so you know, so that was probably even more of the you're oh, not working right, right? You, and you're expecting he hated a baby the, he hated the not working didn't, didn't even understand that I'd killed myself since I was 19 in a title company you know that he didn't care I needed to be doing something so every day at <laughs> 7 o'clock my phone rang ring ring hey man what are you doing like I'm sleeping, Trace. You know, I, I sleep in until nine o'clock. Well, uh, I need you to do something for me today. What's that, Trace? Oh, man, I'm gonna need you to go down to the farm. I'm like, here it goes. So he would set up these different tasks every day for me down at the farm, from you know, killing wild animals that had come in and you know, torn something of his up. To one day was the epic story that I always tell everybody that they love it. He decided that he was gonna build a zip line in the bottom of his mud bottom pond. Uh, for the kids to zip line down. So he calls me out there. Hey, man, what are you doing? 7 a.m., Trace, I'm asleep. 
well, uh, I need you to do something for me today. I need you to go down to Academy Sports and uh, get a pair of swimming goggles and some flippers. And I'm like, it's March at this time. I'm like, what? He was like, yo, a uh, pair of swimming goggles and flippers. I was like, just one pair? He says, yo. I'm like, oh, God. So I hang up the phone. I looked at Tara. I said, your dad's going to kill me today. He's literally going to kill me. Now, are you married at the time? Uh, I don't know if we were married. If we okay. weren't married, we were real close to getting Come married. Because you were doing a lot, obviously, to accommodate yeah. him, right? Sure, of course. So if we weren't married, we were getting ready to be. But we might have already been married. I don't remember. Um, so, so I go up to Academy Sports and I, I get to sleep in until 930 because Academy doesn't open till 10. So that was the highlight of this hazing <laughs> trip. So I get up there and there's this little teeny bopper checking me out. And she says, hey, not checking me out of the register. Not right. checking me <laughs> Back then I was check outable, but I'm not anymore. Uh, so we're sitting up there and she's like, oh, my gosh, you're getting some flippers and some goggles. You know, where are you going? The Bahamas? And I said, no, I'm going to Eagleville. You should have seen the look on her face. She just looked at me like I had two heads. And so I get in the car and I start driving down here. I'm like, man, this may be my last day here on Earth. It's overcast day. It's probably, you know, 60 degrees at most. So I get out there and he's in this metal boat that he's got, this little John boat. He's got this huge lead pipe contraption that he's welded together, hanging off the back of it. And the boat's just cockeyed out of the water. And I get over there and I said, man, what are we doing? He goes, I don't take your clothes off. I'm like, all right. So I strip down to my boxers and I get in the boat. It is cold. The boat's metal. It's cold. The water's cold. Everything's cold. And we start rowing out there. And I'm like, man, what are we doing? He goes, well, I'm making a zip line for the kids and the angle's all wrong. The trajectory's wrong. So I got a car sunk out there in the pond <laughs> and I made this lead pipe thing where the legs are going to fit through the windows. So he's doing all this himself? Oh, he's MacGyver. Okay. The man okay. is the sharpest. You talk about your engineering spirit right. and building really, this. He's... He knows how to do anything. Like, he could come fix my air conditioner if I ask him to like and, and he doesn't like that about me because I don't fix anything right. but you know the phone fixes all my <laughs> stuff so he uh, so he's made this contraption and sitting at the bottom of the pond and we get out there and so just get in there and find where the car is and I'll hand you this thing you'll put it through the windows and then we'll be good to go well I get in the water and it is so darn cold I can't hold my breath and I got the goggles to cover your nose too which I've never worn before so now I'm like freaking out because I breathe through my nose I'm like uh, it was just it was a bad scene so I'm going up and down trying to find this thing I can only hold my breath for about a second and the pond's about 12 feet deep could you is, even see through it heck no you can't see this far <laughs> in front of your face so and the pond's as deep as the high dive or the, the, the where the high dive was at our pool growing up and I'm like I, I, this is not going to happen so it takes me about 15 minutes of going up and down to find this and every second that ticks by the madder he gets <laughs> and he's turning red and he's just not saying a word so I finally find the car and I'm like okay I've, I've got the car you know, I've got my foot on it. I'm holding the bottom of the boat. I'm like looking up barely. How are we going to get this thing down there? And he just goes, boom. And he pushes the lead pipe thing off the back of the car. Me and that thing go down to the bottom of the pond like in half a second. That freaks me out. I can't breathe. I'm going up and down again trying to find it. I could get one leg in, but the other leg wouldn't go in. And this is taking a lot of time. And I'm about to die of hypothermia. So I finally get done. And I get up there. And he's built the, built the thing about an inch too wide. It's not a standard size vehicle that sunk. It's like an MG or something. And I got one window, one car in the window, and all they push are the side. The other one won't go in. It's sitting on the trunk. So I come up there. I'm like, hey, man. I was like, I got some bad news. He's like, what? I said, you built the thing too wide. He's like, are you kidding me? And I was like, no. And there were some other choice words thrown in there. And I said, I'm not kidding. He's like, I guess I'm just going to go in there and do this myself, aren't I? And I was like, yeah, man, I guess you are. Now I'm getting mad. How old are you at this time? I'm probably 25, 26. Okay, so you're still a young guy. Because I was like, man, you had a lot of respect for him. Oh, no, just... this doesn't happen anymore. But So he, he sits over the front of the boat, takes his shirt off. And as soon as he takes it off, I fill my goggles up with water. And I go, here you go, bud. You're going to need these. Well, that water hits his chest. He's like, oh, oh. I'm like, he goes, it's cold, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it's it's cold in there. So he starts getting ready. You know, he's sitting on the side of the boat, kind of rocking back and forth, trying to get his nerve up to go in. He says, how cold is it? <laughs> That's I, hilarious. And I said, get in there, you blank. I called him a pretty negative word that guys don't like to be called. No sooner does that get out of my mouth that he splashes in. He's freaking out. You know, it's cold. He goes through the same process that I go through and realizes that, yes, indeed, he had built it too wide. So I'm sitting in the boat. By this time, I'm literally blue. And I'm like, man. Now you know. I was like, what are we going to do now? And he goes, well, uh, you're going to swim over to the dock. So I had to get out and go swim to the dock. He stayed out there. He rode around that pond in his boat all day. He was so mad that he had made it wrong. <laughs> he did you? not like it at all. 
So next time I come out there, he's taking this metal contra or lead pipe contraption and concreted into the far side of the pond and ran the zip line over to it. But that's my funniest thing. That day probably would have been the easiest thing to do anyways, right? It wasn't the right trajectory though. He wanted it to be a little sharper so it'd be faster. But he uh you know, it wasn't wasn't, that's wasn't meant hilarious. to be. Threw a car in the pond to that's funny. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing the story. Sure, um, and uh, David Weber at Limestone Title and Escrow. Yes, sir. If you have any title needs, closing needs, um, he can help you out. We're your men. All right, man. Thanks for your time. Thanks for joining me in the Rambler. Thanks, brother. I love the Rambler. Thanks. Great interview with David Weber. Especially love the uh, story at the end of the interview about Trace Atkins. Now, uh, sit back and uh, enjoy the second part of the interview with John Scott. From music, maybe I should have been a little bit, but I just love it all. I do too, you know, and so people still ask me today because this is an interesting factoid for a lot of people who now see me in the mortgage business and then they see me in a writer's round at Bluebird Cafe or something in Nashville. Most people wouldn't know that I'm an ordained minister. Right, definitely. For 20 years. This last this year, I celebrated twenty years, and um, a lot of people wouldn't know that that you know, and that whole f- the the whole phrase that was going around for a long time, you know, spiritual, not religious. Uh-huh. Uh, it kind of got overused. You know, it was edgy at first until everybody used it, and then it was dull. You know, but that was I was a part of that movement years ago. You know, I didn't see a demarcation line between secular and sacred after a little while. I started sort of seeing that, you know, it's sacred. To, if it's sacred to you, it's sacred, whether that's time with your family or time at church or it's surfing on Sunday and eating pancakes. That's kind of like your deal, right? So with music, I, man, when I would sit down to write songs, dude, I couldn't write Christian songs. They didn't, Christian songs didn't come to me as quickly as a love song or even a breakup song would, which was frustrating because I'm like, no, I'm supposed to be writing about Jesus. And it, and it was not that. It was, it would be, you know, a love song or something. So 2008, true story, still pastoring a church. I, I become the band leader of a bar in the same town I'm pastoring in. Well, that was an interesting combination. The band leader of a bar? The band oh, okay. leader, yeah. So, so okay. house band. There was a house band at this place called Cowboy Bills. So every Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday from 9 o'clock until 3 o'clock in the morning, we're, you know, we're singing and playing bar music. And when I say I had to, like, do, I had to woodshed to learn all of these secular songs that I wasn't allowed to listen to, I did. You know, people come up and go, hey, hey, do you know Born on the Bayou? What? Right. And I had to go learn it. You know, so that was interesting for me. Now, I'm still curious. Do surfers usually eat pancakes at the same time? Well, not typically while they're on the surfboard. Okay. It I messes was, up the wax. I the was syrup just, and the wax doesn't. Yeah. It's a bad mix. As you, were, as you were talking, I just kept thinking about pancakes <laughs> and surfing. Salespeople, we're ADHD. You know, it's like, so anyway, so you're, so you're learning the, the music yeah. and, uh, and, and hiding in the woodshed and then. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm doing that. Uh, I did that for almost a year. Left there, um, started a band. A buddy who now works with us here, Legacy, is yeah, uh, right. is also a musician. And he and I met around that same time, actually back in 2005. We were already kind of writing songs. We formed a hard rock band. When I say hard rock band, I'm talking about heavy. Mm. Um, and we did that band called Backstroke for about, um, I guess, about three years. That was fun. It was way different for me, um, but it was really cool. It, gave, it exposed me to uh, a lot more bands from the 90s, Alice in Chains and uh, King's oh, yeah. X and Nirvana and, and a lot of stuff that I had never been allowed to listen to. Um, so that was cool. King's X became one of my favorite bands quickly. And I don't know if you're familiar Actually, with them. Actually, I'm not oh, familiar dude. with them. Uh. Really kind of like Beatles harmony vocals over top of heavy riff. Huh, really good stuff. Three-piece band. They were amazing. Uh, so I still listen to those guys. Anyway, he and I, we started writing music together. Um, the backstroke thing fizzled. And then he and I kept doing acoustic gigs. Just we go do a two-man gig at wherever. And that developed into, uh, we met up with this other guy who's a guitar player and a producer in the Athens area. And he started playing electric guitar with us, which was a great addition and had all that really cool riffs. And then his wife sang. So one day we're sitting at Brian, Brian Powers' house, and we just decided to sing a song together. And it was Whiskey Lullaby by uh, Brad Paisley. And we threw this three, three-part harmony mix of female and male vocal onto this song and it was like 
Oh, you know, it was just a magic moment. And that's where Phoenix Drive was born. Okay. So when we moved from the Athens, Georgia area to Nashville, we moved as a band. We moved three families here to pursue the music business. Um, and Phoenix Drive started doing tour dates with Luke Bryan, with um, Cowboy Troy, with Big and Rich, Band Perry. Um, we started pitching to all of the major record labels. We were almost there with Sony, almost there with Universal. We... Uh, we're real close to signing an exclusive deal with William Morris Agency to book us. A lot going on, and that's we all sold out to make that happen. We played CMAs, CMA Fan Fest for five years in a row, man, and we were just doing it. That's that's what we were going after. Right. Um, and then, you know, just like the music business can be, it was pretty disappointing, and we ended up uh, disbanding. Nobody's mad. It's just I think everybody got tired. Wore out with right, the industry, right. you know. So yeah, yeah, that's my. I story. mean, it's like you have fun, but you can only, I guess, chase it, waiting on breaks for so long, maybe, and then you, you eventually go. All right, maybe it's something. Especially when you have families, new. right? You know, right. I have four children, as far as I know, and because um, none have showed up from anywhere else so far, thank God. Um, but uh, no, I mean, you can't just be a starving artist. You really do have to find another way. However. I'm too crazy to quit. I mean, I still I play music every weekend, every weekend somewhere. Yeah, it's funny because I've you know I've known some that they're in it, they're trying to make it, and they're working business as well. And sometimes you you it's I could have the thought of like, man, you just need to focus on business and you know make that decision. But then I also think, man, if I had a passion for you know music, yeah. played something, it would be hard to let it go. Yeah, you know. Um, that's that what's was, been fantastic. A shout out to Brandon, yeah, uh, for being the kind of person who is not—he doesn't think because I go play music on the weekends that I'm not a company guy, right? The previous corporation I worked for was exactly that. They—they um, they basically said make a decision. And well, maybe that's just that. Uh, I don't know. You're in Nashville and. And knowing that there are so many people that want to kind of still incorporate music into their life. So yeah. kind of finding that balance. So that's It cool. is. Finding the balance has been interesting, but now I feel like I have. Um, and again, you know, I can still play music, still write songs, and I'm still actively doing that and still write loans. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, nice. Yeah. And you're growing that as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And enjoying that immensely. And, uh, he, and John's with uh, Brandon Hutchison. Correct. With uh, Legacy Mutual Mortgage. Yeah. So, yeah. Just moved into a junior loan officer position. Nice. So now I'm being mentored by the sensei, oh, wow. Brandon Hutchison. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So uh, advice for uh, musicians trying to make it? Uh, don't try to make it. You know, try to make the music. If the music comes naturally, make the music. If making it what I would say don't try to make it because the deal is is that the music makes you it's organic if not it can it can kill you it can break your heart it can you know it can take away the joy of the music that's what happened with me now that I write songs because I want to not because I'm trying to get a deal it's a lot freer it is freer and the the songs feel more real I'm not writing in any box at all. For for a minute there, because we were sort of considered, uh, you know, sort of, sort of a semi-country band. Then we're trying to figure out how do we write country? Oh, man. So we try to get our heads caught, you know, in that position where we can write country. And uh, that's a box, you know. So now I don't have one. So I would say to musicians, first of all, I would say don't quit. I mean, do it. But do it for, for the love of music. Do it for the love of music. And know? maybe incorporate, because I think it's like, uh, incorporate disciplines, right? Oh, As yeah. As with any business, you know, it's like, that's, I guess, the switch of going trying so hard, but also knowing that, you know, if you have a set goals to write so yes. many songs or, you yeah. know, whatever it is, and don't get caught up in the craziness of potentially being a musician and letting all those distractions that you were shielded from as a kid or, yeah. you know, growing up. Because um, that obviously can ruin many careers as well in yeah. anything. Because because I don't really know that the I don't know that the music industry even knows what it is. You know that whole we had such a fantastic team. We had great management. We had great publicists. A booking agency like William Morris. I mean that that's massive. 
uh, and the code was still not clear. Right. You know, so I don't know that there is one. When, man, when Chris Stapleton and, 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 and Justin Timberlake took the roof off the CMAs, you know, a couple of years ago, I'm standing in the middle of my living room bawling because I'm going, this is real music. You know, yes. And, and, and when we first moved to town, I mean, we, we, you know, came across Chris Stapleton all the time. And people think it's an overnight success. I'm like, no, the dude's been doing this forever, forever. And I think that's probably, too, letting music kind of, I guess, naturally develop, you know, because mm-hmm. there's still many people that look at country and they go, oh, I don't like this new country. I got to keep the old country. And But then you see Chris Stapleton and Justin get together and, and sing a song. And it's like, and I know a, a, a songwriter that we would play poker at his house and we're listening to old school hip hop and R&B. Yeah. And he's a pretty good songwriter because I think he incorporates naturally that ability into new music, you know? Because good music um, is good music. Right. 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 So, Lyrics and stuff. Yeah. Well, cool. So buyers and sellers, any advice um, in this uh, Nashville market? Oh, man. Um, make sure you connect with good realtors. Um, go ahead and get approved. Because this market is very fast-paced. Did you say a good realtor? A good realtor. And what was his name? Some guy, there's a guy I know that I think you could have with Andrew. Yeah. Buck Walter. That's it, yep. I know him. He's yeah. a great dude. Well, I, I agree. I think there's a lot of integrity there. Yes. And, but I think there's also a lot of go-getter, you know, and you have to have that. In this market, seriously. Uh, you know, any joke. Hey, thanks like, so much. To. Thanks so much for that plug. That was so awesome. You're you're so welcome. Am I still? Is that good? Was it? Was that too forced? Kind of. No, no I, okay. I I felt it was. There was a lot of ease in it. Okay, yeah. awesome. it was relaxing. You didn't feel pressure. It was a massaging all, right? of the soul. <laughs> We're good. Awesome. Uh, but no, yeah, seriously, I would I would find somebody who knows the market and knows the area well, and who's willing to go to bat for you because it is a very aggressive market. Well, you know that. Yes. I mean, by the time a house hits the market, it may have three or four offers on it, maybe more than that, and that's why we want to get folks approved so that they feel confident yes. when they go out, they can make an offer um, even before some listings hit the public. Right. You know, listings. We we try to get them prepared for that ahead of time. Yeah, because you're, ta- you're a resident or you're talking to agents you know, as well. So you kind of know some of those potential pocket listings as well. Yeah. So that's cool. So reach out to Andrew. Yes, yeah. and obviously Brandon and John. Oh, there you go. Yes. My God. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Well, let's hear you uh, play a little bit on the uh, guitar. All right, then. So this song here is about... Um, Love and the reality that sometimes it feels great and then sometimes it hurts. It's just kind of, I think, you, you know, when you let people into that deep part of your soul, you're vulnerable. And so, you know, I guess if you didn't uh, care, it wouldn't hurt, would it? So sometimes the pain is a sign of love, not a sign of love being missing. When I wrote this song, I was in a Sam Cooke mood, so. Sometimes it's heaven, baby. Sometimes it's hell on earth. Sometimes there ain't nothing better. Sometimes there ain't nothing worse. Feels like I'm flying when I'm falling heart first. Sometimes it feels so right, so right, but sometimes it hurts. Well, I just want to fall asleep so I can dream about you. It's a little less lonely than Going through another night without you Your love is dangerous, yeah I'm hooked on it I got no one else to blame Cause I should have known it Sometimes it's heaven, baby Sometimes it's hell on earth Sometimes there ain't nothing better Sometimes there ain't nothing worse Feels like I'm flying when I'm falling heart first 
Sometimes it feels so right Yeah, but sometimes it hurts Yes, it does When we're together it's like Blue sky weather Baby, let it stay like this forever Cause it feels like I'm And when I'm falling hard first Sometimes it feels so right So right, yeah Sometimes it's heaven, baby Well, sometimes it's hell on earth Sometimes there ain't nothing better Sometimes there ain't nothing worse Feels like I'm flying When I'm falling heart first Sometimes it feels so right So right But sometimes it just hurts mm -hmm. Oh yeah Sometimes it hurts Another great interview with a musician, a lot of experience. Again, love hearing the stories. There's so many different backgrounds and a lot of wisdom within each musician. Hope you walked away with some good information on title insurance, why it's important, and why it is important to have a great title company because getting to closing smoothly is always a plus. And you want to make sure that you contact a great title company that can make that happen. Next week, I'll be sitting down with an appraiser, and we will be discussing how an appraiser gets to their values in the purchase price and all the variables that go into that and how they deal with such a hot market when the values are increasing drastically and it's tough for appraisers to sometimes justify the value, uh, especially with many multiple offers. So that should be uh, interesting to uh, hear that side of it and details of, of that. Don't forget, if you did miss episode nine, I sat down with Brent Gambrell with the Door to Hope Ministries. They do Haiti ministry work, and I am trying to reach a goal of 1500 bucks to build a home in Haiti. If you do have any interest in helping me reach that goal, please reach out to me. I would love to uh, help them build a home in Haiti. As always, remember, I am a realtor in the Nashville area. If you're looking at buying or selling, would love to have a conversation with you to see how I can help you with that process. Also, if you're living outside of Nashville and are in need of a realtor or a lender, please reach out. I can access a database and put you in contact with someone in your area as well. Thanks again so much for tuning in. If you did enjoy and have a few seconds to do a review, I would appreciate it. And hope you have a great rest of the week. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Music City Real Estate Show. If you enjoyed our program, please leave us an iTunes rating and review and subscribe for more music and valuable insights each week into Nashville's real estate landscape. Send your comments, questions, and ideas to podcast at buckwalterimpactgroup.com. And remember, don't give up until you find the property that's right for you. See you next time.